Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Representative Jayapal represents the 7th District of Washington, the state of Washington, and the U.S. House of Representatives, as well as chairing the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Her website, Jayapal, J-A-Y-A-P-A-L.house.gov, and her Twitter handle is Rep Jayapal, J-A-Y-A-P-A-L, and she'll be taking your calls. Representative Jayapal, uh, first of all, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been on the show. It's great to have you back with us. I'm wondering, before we pick up phone calls here, over the course of the next hour, what's at the top of your mind? What are the things that you think that we really need to be paying attention to in our political world right now? And, uh, you know, anything that you wanted to just kick the hour off with? Tom, it is so great to be back with you. I always love being on your show. There are so many things, but let me just try to narrow in on a few. First of all, we are working very, very hard on a big, bold, and urgent plan for additional support to Americans across the country, a once-in-a-generation investment in the American Jobs and Families Plan. The Progressive Caucus has been prioritizing a number of pieces within that. First of all, bold action on climate change. We really believe that the total dollar amount should be higher than what the president has proposed. We also want to make sure that we're getting the clean energy standard across the line and making sure that we're investing of the dollars we spend, 40% going into frontline and affected communities. We also are pushing very, very hard, along with Senator Bernie Sanders and a number of other senators, to include lowering the cost of pharmaceutical drugs for Americans so that no American is paying more than in any other country. And then using the hundreds of billions of dollars of savings from that to lower the Medicare eligibility age and to expand Medicare benefits to include dental, vision, and hearing. And I hope we talk some more about that. That is a huge priority, and we are really leading the charge on pushing that. Also on child care, you know, a lot of what the jobs numbers have shown us is that women have been chased out of the job market, and they can't come back unless we start helping with child care. And so this opportunity to really have a bold child care program even bolder than the one the president has proposed. I mean, I'm on board with the Warren proposal for no one pays more than 7% of their income. And that means no work requirements for childcare, which unfortunately are contained 
right now in the bill and also making sure we get rid of or expand the top threshold for who qualifies so that we're covering middle class families in high cost of living areas. So there are a number of other things, but that's a big priority. Second, we're really focused, obviously, on continuing our fight around ending the Saudi-led war in Yemen. And unfortunately, we mm-hmm. haven't been making as much progress there as we would like, but we're pushing very hard around that. And of course, focus a lot of attention right now on the Middle East and making sure that we are addressing human rights there and calling for an immediate ceasefire and a much stronger position than what the Biden administration has taken. And the good news there is that I feel like finally, even in Congress, there's more support for focusing on Israel's violation of human rights and the annexation that's been happening over years that is preventing any movement forward in the Middle East. So it's a complex situation, but we're tracking that very closely. Third, global vaccine equity is something we've spent a lot of time on. We were successful in getting the TRIPS waiver, the Biden administration to commit to the TRIPS waiver, essentially allows for the WTO to, well, if it all goes through, there's still advocacy that needs to be done. But the United States has changed its position to allow these patents on these vaccines to be shared with other countries. And we're also pushing for more U.S. stock of vaccines to be sent. And in fact, if it hasn't happened, it's about to happen in a few minutes. The Biden administration will, will announce another 20 million doses of vaccines that will be sent. I'm pushing for 25 billion to be put into domestic manufacturing so that we can get more vaccines out to the rest of the world. So there's so many other things, but those are just three that are on our agenda right now. What a list. You guys, you guys are doing such great work and and so much of it. And I'm so impressed and I'm so glad that you're there and that I can't tell you. Let's uh, pick up some of our phone calls here. Rachel in Needham, Massachusetts, you are on the air with Representative Jayapal. How do we get the $15 an hour package back on the table since it seems like the White House does not want to push that agenda? Rachel, is so important, and that is very much a part of our agenda as well. As you know, it was the Progressive Caucus that ensured that a $15 minimum wage was in the House version of the rescue package, but when it went to the Senate, The Senate stripped it out, and the White House did not help us to ensure that we could overrule the parliamentarian, which I believe would have been a legitimate thing to do, but we could not get there. And so now there are really three ways that we can address this. One is to overrule the parliamentarian. We've seen that the White House isn't with us on doing that. The second is to eliminate the filibuster. This is another priority of the Progressive Caucus. In fact, we had a big week of action around this a couple of weeks ago where almost two dozen of our members did individual events in their districts to educate people about the racist legacy of the filibuster and why we must eliminate it if we are to pass any of the major pieces of legislation that we have before us. Third is to attach the $15 minimum wage to a must-pass appropriations bill like the National Defense Authorization Act or some other such bill. We are looking at every opportunity that we have, and we're really trying to push the White House to say, look, you promised this, and you have to help us to get there. And that involves also getting all 50 senators, Democratic senators, on board. As you know, we have some issues with a couple of them. But we're working very closely with our champions in the Senate, including Senator Sanders, 
and really saying this is something that you cannot go back to voters and say, hey, I'm sorry, we, you know, we had to follow some arcane racist procedure that we could have changed as Democrats called the filibuster. And so we couldn't get this through. So it's been very frustrating to us that there hasn't been more movement. But I do want people to know that there isn't a day or a week that goes by without us continuing to try to build the chorus across the country. That's one of the most important things is particularly in states like Arizona and West Virginia to continue the pressure to get a solution on 15. Pat in Seattle, Representative Jayapal's district. You are on the air with your representative. Thank you so much. I'm so proud to have you as my congresswoman. And my question is, if H.R. 1 gets through Congress, won't it eventually move up to the Supreme Court? And with six conservative judges on the Supreme Court who will most likely vote against it, what are the options after that? Or am I wrong about that scenario? First of all, Pat, I'm so proud to be your representative, so thank you for that. So our focus right now is on getting S-1, which is the H.R. 1 equivalent in the Senate, through, because we do think we have a good shot of, you know, sustaining any challenge that might be made in the courts. But most importantly, we have to be able to pass this immediately to be able to stop some of the things that are happening in these states across the country. A Supreme Court challenge would take some time work on these provisions to make sure that they would be able to sustain a challenge. And so now, again, it comes back down to the filibuster. You know, we passed it in the House, and it is absolutely essential that we pass it in the Senate because you see all of the ways in which the Republicans know that they can't win on a Trump agenda of stripping health care from people and sending tax cuts to the wealthiest. That's not going to do it. So the only other way they have to win is to suppress the vote in all these states. And that is a coordinated effort, as we found out by the Heritage Foundation, that we need to beat back immediately. Representative Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus representing the 7th District of Washington, is with us. Jayapal, J-A-Y-A-P-A-L dot house dot gov, the website. Rep Jayapal is uh, her Twitter handle. George in Seattle again. Uh, George, you're on the air with Representative Jayapal. Drawing them out of the woodwork, Representative Jayapal. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love it. In support of the the proposal, Biden's proposals and what the representative just listed, I'm wondering how we can encourage Biden to use his platform either through uh, speeches or something similar maybe to the fireside chats to educate the population about the the, uh, tax history of the United States, the theft of the commons, and and the growth economics of recirculating dollars within the U.S. instead of funneling dollars to the uber-rich and the international corporations. It's not minorities that are victimizing these racist whites. It's the uber-rich and the powerful. Yeah. Thank you for that, George. I think, you know, one of the things that gives me the most hope about and we progressives should really claim victory here, is the complete flip from the White House, even from previous Democratic administrations, about things like trickle-down economics, which we all knew never worked, and even the framing of these tax raisers, revenue raisers, that the White House has put forward in the plan and are really sticking to. They told me in one of my first meetings with the White House, This isn't about paying for infrastructure because we know infrastructure pays for itself. 
raising taxes on those earning over 400000 and on corporations and stopping corporations from hiding their money in other countries is something that is about making the tax system fair and addressing all of the deep inequities within our system and the robbing of, frankly, investments in the people by the uber wealthy. And so that is really important. And I think your idea of fireside chats is a really interesting one. He has been talking, the president has been talking about these tax increases on the rich and the big corporations. And so I'll take back the idea of kind of doing a set of chats um, with the public and having members really engage on that. I wonder if that's the sort of thing if Vice President Harris were to do, might raise her profile a little bit. On the other hand, it would probably make the right wing go nuts. Yes, sure. <laughs> I'm sure it would. But, but should I we worry about that? I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, all of us should do it, you know, and, and yeah. I know you do it all the time, Tom, so I think it's really important. Franklin Roosevelt was so effective at doing that. None of us are old enough to actually remember that, but, but history yeah. tells us that. And, and Lyndon Johnson, I, I was just listening to a, a speech that LBJ gave in support of, of Medicare. It was like a fireside chat. I mean, he was just like, you know, talking to people about this. Yeah. It was quite remarkable. Charles in Miami, Florida. Charles, you are on the air with the representative Jayapal. Since uh, Ronald Reagan uh, repealed the New Deal on his own through his administration, and he's got people convinced that, well, I'm convinced right now that government never works when Republicans run it. It seems like they cheated. They stole the election in 2016. They used everything in their power. You could just look at how they treat Americans as far as they're so corrupt. They purge legitimate voters. They rig voter machines. They have fake polls, fake punditries so they can call so-called close races. This country was not in my opinion, falling into um, into authoritarian. How are we going to expose this? Because this shouldn't happen again, and it's very easy. I can see why the Republicans are fighting tooth and nail not to have this commission, because a lot of people can go to jail on their side. Thank you, Charles. I mean, I think this is a really important point. I was on TV on, um, CN, uh, on MSNBC yesterday with Jonathan Capehart saying, I think the biggest threat to our national security at this moment is the fact that we have a Republican Party that refuses to do anything other than pledge fealty to the one-man cult of Donald Trump, that involves lying about the election and doing everything they can to cheat the people of a real democracy. I mean, I agree with you, Charles, and that is why we're fighting so hard for the commission. It's why it was so important that we got a new Justice Department in that has already filed charges against hundreds of people that were part of the insurrection. It's why the investigations um, that, you know, we were involved in in the Judiciary Committee under Democrats in the House are not over yet. I mean, Chris McGahn, as you might have seen, there was a ruling around Chris McGahn testifying before us. He will come and be interviewed. We are still looking into all of the things that happened in 2016. But you're right, there isn't the accountability yet. We're working to get that. And it was why it was so important that people came out and voted to give us a Democratic White House, a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. Marie in New York City, you are on the air with Representative Jayapal. If they don't fix the post office, if Biden doesn't do something about this postal, Mr. DeJoy and the rest of that crew will accept them for the people he put on. You know, if your people can't put their mail the, their ballots in the mail, then the ballots won't get 
to where they're supposed to go. Not that it's going to do any good with these crazy people taking them and stealing them and counting them again and shining lights, et cetera, et cetera. But basics, get the post office back together. I hear you, Marie. And in fact, you might have seen that the Biden administration just appointed a or nominated a new person to the postal board which has the authority to get rid of the current leadership and make a change in the Postal Service. And, of course, we're doing a lot of accountability hearings and putting money into the Postal Service. We did some of that in the past, Bill, but we just have to do more. So you're absolutely right that that's been a top priority. And Louis DeJoy, all of the information is coming out about how corrupt he was and how he got that position in the first place. But we need to roll all of that back. And we're in the process of doing that, thankfully, now. And we will soon have a majority on that board. He destroyed over 700 machines. These high-speed sorting machines could sort 40,000 pieces of mail a minute, as I recall. Maybe it was per hour. Whatever it was, it was massive. And they cost millions and millions of dollars. And some of them were custom-made for the post office. Is anybody appropriating money to replace those machines? Because, you know, the mail is a whole lot slower now than it was just a year ago before he destroyed those machines. Yes, that will be a part of the appropriations budget. But also, you know, interestingly, in some places like Seattle, those machines were taken out, but some of the Postal Service employees did not destroy them. So, you know, we're also looking to see what was destroyed and what is still there, but was taken out of use. That would be a really good thing if we can put some of those things back into place and get our mail moving again. Bill in Los Angeles, you are on the air with Representative Jayapal. Hello, uh, Representative Jayapal. My name is Bill. I'm a union member from Los Angeles. And we've been discussing in our union halls the merits, the pluses and minus of the PRO Act. Um, uh, It seems to us that uh, the radicals and militants within the union movement, um, that the Democrats party would have us believe that um, more government intervention into the process of unionization would benefit uh, the union members. I think the way we understand it, militants in the union, that rights for the workers are not handed down from the high halls of Congress, but are won through struggle. So why should we accept government arbitration with your uh, Neo uh, Wagner Act that reinforces things like the the Taft-Hartley agreement? That's that's such a weird question uh, framing Representative Jayapal, because before the Wagner Act, companies routinely murdered people who, who went on strike. But your, yeah. your thoughts? <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm sort of scratching my head around that frame, because what we know is that, you know, employers have done everything possible to prevent unionization. Why? Because when you don't have democracy in the workplace, you don't have collective bargaining, what you have is complete power over all those people that work at the company. And so that is, you know, that all of the efforts that we've had around um, ensuring that the government is protecting the power dynamic between workers who are organizing and the employers, the boss, um, is is absolutely essential. Without that, and that's what we see over the last several decades, as these big corporations and deregulation has gotten government out of really uh, ensuring that workers have the right to, to collectively bargain on the job. Now what you see is all of the effects of that. You see lower wages. You see no benefits. You see workplace 
um, rights being violated with no accountability. And of course, the most recent example of this is uh, the way in which Amazon did everything that they could to prevent workers and to to um, mar the process of of unionizing in Bessemer. And so I, I don't totally understand that framing, because for me, what we need to do is ensure that government is actually strengthening workplace democracy, strengthening the ability for workers to organize on the job and um, stop the, you know, basically make it much, much harder, which is what the PRO Act would do, to pressure workers against forming a union. Because right now, employers can, you know, they can force employees to sit more or less all day long in captive audience meetings. They can, you know, force anti-union consultants or managers or supervisors from telling you that this is going to be a bad decision if you join the union, if you vote to join the union. They can delay elections. They can do all kinds of things um, because we don't have the the regulation that we need from the federal level. So um, I'm happy to go on and on about the PRO Act. I'm a lead sponsor of it. And, you know, I believe that it is a first step, not a last step, Tom, but a first step for uh, some of what we need to do. I'm also interested in looking at sectoral bargaining more broadly and other tools that get at the current way in which the economy is structured with gig workers and others. But the PRO Act is a meaningful and important step forward. Yeah, that, that framing was almost word for word out of, uh, you know, uh, Coke industry. Well, not, out of uh, Club for Growth and, and uh, Freedom Works, you know, the, the, the Coke Brothers yeah. organizations. Jonathan in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Representative Jayapal. <clears throat> the destruction of the AP building in Gaza, which is nothing less than an act of war against the United States. And I'm saying that because there's nothing more American than the Associated Press. It's been counting our votes since 1848, the preeminent news organization in the world. And not one member of Congress, including you, Chairperson, have said nothing about this blatant attack against the United States while the United States watched and effectively allowed this to happen. And I'd like to hear your answer. I think this has been an extremely difficult time, and the Progressive Caucus Members of the Progressive Caucus have led the efforts in Congress, including Mark Pocan, my former co-chair, who I know is on this show a lot, Jan Schakowsky, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. We gave our Progressive Caucus special order hour actually last week to what's happening in Israel and Gaza. We have, I think, more support than ever before to actually consider withholding aid from Israel because we cannot be supporting having U.S. tax dollars go to supporting human rights abuses. And that's something that I've been uh, pushing for for years, actually. But I think it finally feels like it's something that even more mainstream Democrats are starting to look at. So don't know whether specifically people address the issue of the AP building in Gaza, but I know I've seen the, the statement from the Journalists Association that this was a direct attack on AP because Israel didn't want AP to cover what was happening in Gaza. And I believe that to be true. And I think it is absolutely outrageous. I think the the big question here is when is the United States going to stop continuing to supply military equipment, aid to Israel and allow Israel to utilize that aid and those American taxpayer dollars to continue its human rights abuses. I think it was four years ago or three years ago, I was in the Middle East and Israel. Uh, We tried to go into Gaza. It was actually when 
There was rocket fire back and forth, and so we couldn't get into Gaza proper. But I was there at Khan al-Ahmar when the bulldozers showed up. They didn't actually bulldoze the village that day because there was an injunction, and the Supreme Court stopped the bulldozing that day. But we were there. The bulldozer was there. And, you know, seeing the way in which Israel has brazenly continued its annexation of these villages and essentially putting any end to the idea of a two-state solution. This has been a tinderbox in the making. Trump administration made it so much worse, but I have to say that I'm really disappointed in how the Biden administration is handling this right now. It seems like the uh, the pressure is cranking up. Well, uh, I think so. You know, so, uh, you know, hopefully they'll there'll be some resolution of this because the United States continuing to support Israel and what they're doing and Saudi Arabia and bombing Yemen as well. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. Back, Representative Pramila Jayapal taking your calls for the hour. Tyrone in Harlem, New York, you are on the air with Representative Jayapal. I was wondering about the January 6th 9-11 commission Will they have teeth to deal with whatever they find? Because if they find a smoking gun, will they be prepared to do what's necessary to deal with these lawless um, people that we know have no respect for the country and the laws of this country? Yes, this is a really important issue that you're raising. And some of you know I was trapped in the gallery on January 6th and um you know, I not only is it about fearing, you know, dealing with the personal trauma of that, but really seeing how close we were to losing our democracy, how fragile it is and how it could happen again. And that doesn't stop unless we have this commission. So the bipartisan agreement, which still has to be voted on and get through the House and then through through uh, the the uh, the Senate as well, uh, does have subpoena power and accountability power built into it. You know, my my only, um, I think it's an extremely important development. I'm not clear that Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans in the House, is even going to go along with it, though he seems to have given his tacit approval to John Katko, the Republican who negotiated this uh, on the Republican side with us. So let's see. But I think, um, you know, this is going to be important in terms of who's named to the commission. We have to make sure that the Republican members that are named are not taking this into all kinds of other crazy areas, um, but that it is focused on January 6th and that it is focused on bringing accountability and getting the information, which has slowly been coming out in different ways. But we need all of it and we need it quickly so that we can then respond with uh, whatever changes need to be made so that it doesn't happen again. I, I am very afraid, Tom, that um, this, this is far from over with the Republican Party completely embracing Donald Trump and the big lie um, and, you know, kicking a conservative member like Liz Cheney out of leadership because she uh, wouldn't admit that, that Donald Trump was, was trying to steal an election and, yeah. and subverting our democracy. Yeah, I think they're, they're pushing us toward full-blown oligarchy, and it scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Ed, in me Chicago, too. you are on the air with Representative Jayapal. Does the Progressive Caucus have a way of communicating on a regular basis with your Democratic colleagues in the Senate? And the reason I ask this, and I know this is anecdotal, but it seems whenever I talk to uh, the staffers when I call my senators, I'll ask them if they're familiar with Free Speech TV or Tom Hartman or Andy Rhodes. 
And I would say 80, 80 to 90% of the time, the answer is no. Well, yes. I mean, the answer to your question is absolutely. I am um, on the phone with uh, Bernie Sanders, who, of course, was, you know, I, I think many would feel like he got a lot of his big start with you, Tom, on the show. Um, but I'm in conversation with him multiple times a week. Um, That's great. And I'm also uh, I also have made it a priority as chair this year to really reach out to all the other members of the Senate as well who are progressive. So I have regular conversations with Senator Warren, Senator Merkley. I've been developing relationships with Senator Padilla, um, now even with Senator Menendez on a few things. Um, And so we are really working, Senator Markey, obviously, um, Senator Murphy on foreign policy issues. So we are really working to connect the House and the Senate efforts, because nothing is going to be successful unless we do that now that we have control of the Senate. And I also um, do talk to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, you know, on a pretty regular basis, because if we are going to be successful with our progressive agenda in the House, we need the Senate to back us on it. And we need to use all our leverage between the House and the Senate progressives, along with the outside groups and outside movement to really get us there. Tomas in Madison, Wisconsin, we have a minute and 15 seconds. A very quick question, please, for Representative Jaipal. Absolutely, and thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, my question is, uh, what can the U.S. government do to encourage large multinational corporations to stop uh, environmentally devastating resource extraction from developing countries, given that many of these co- corporations are based in the United States? Great. Yeah, such an important question, Tomas. And uh, I mean, in just in a minute, it's a hard question to answer. But we're, you know, what we're trying to do is everything from taking on trade agreements and what corporations actually have the ability to do, but also then addressing it with um, our climate change proposals here in the United States. Uh, we know that that's not going to completely ban, for exa- example, uh, fossil fuel extraction, but. The more that we can push as the United States to move away from fossil fuels towards clean energy, hopefully that is a worldwide effort. And, of course, everything that we do with the United Nations um, and the Paris Accord, every you know, diplomatic effort that we can get involved in, we need to. Representative Jai Paul, thanks so much for dropping by today. It is so great having you with us and having you as chair of the Progressive Caucus. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Always love being on your show. Thank Appreciate you. it. It's, a, it's a, a pleasure and an honor. Great talking with you. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's 
or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On the line with us is our my buddy, Dean Obadala, the host of the Dean Obadala Show. He's a weekday Sirius XM Progress uh, channel, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as channel 127. He's also a columnist with the Daily Beast. And uh, Dean of Radio is his uh, website.com, deanofradio.com. And, of course, Dean Obadala, O-B-E-I-D-A-L-L-A-H is his Twitter handle. Dean, welcome back to the program. I understand you have family on the West Bank in Israel. It's, uh, it's of course, Gaza that's under attack right now, but the West right. Bank has been under kind of slow, continuous attack for decades, it seems. Um, uh, your thoughts on what's going on right now? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Tom. I appreciate it. You know, I just wrote about it for CNN. I mean, what's going on now is heartbreaking. There's no winners in this battle between Hamas and Israel. There's just pain and suffering. Unequal, very much so, but still pain and suffering. I mean, you have, as of now, 10 Israelis have been killed, including a five-year-old boy. Um, the Palestinian side, over 200 are dead now, including nearly 60 children and about 40 women who have been killed. So it's like a movie, it seems, for people, I'm sure, like Groundhog Day, like it keeps coming back. In reality, the last time you had a battle this year was seven years ago. But what happens in between these battles that get the headlines are the continuation of the Israeli occupation of for example, my family in the West Bank, which they have limited freedom of movement. They, the checkpoints can be open or closed. If you're a Palestinian living in East Jerusalem, that you can be evicted from your home, which they're trying to do right now in this area called Sheikh Jarrah, where they've lived there for generations. But Israeli settlers will go to the court and say, well, we have priority. We're Jewish. They're not. And we're citizens because we're Jewish. They're not citizens. They're, they're Arab Christians or Muslims. And the courts side with them and take their land. And that, that sort of was a backdrop to this fight we're having now. It started from there, this immediate time. But, you know, people always go, oh, they've been fighting for thousands of years. Not in reality, no. Uh, they've been, the struggle began in 1948 with the creation of Israel. And then you had the Palestinians dispossessed from their land. And it, it's really continued from there till now. It's just taken on. I think the difference is there are more Democrats are outspoken about Palestinian humanity and that's all I want as a Palestinian American is people to recognize our humanity. And then from there, perhaps we can press our government to press the parties for a, a really a just settlement that views the Palestinian Christians and Muslims as being worthy of humanity, which often on the right and even some on the left in the past, to be blunt, have not seen that about Palestinians. So that was the point of my article. And that's where I'm trying to get people to. It's not litigating what's going on between now Hamas and Israel. This, I hope, will end today. If it was not in the next day or two, but from there, you know, this fades from the headlines and America goes back to its business and the world goes back to their business. And once again, the Palestinians are forgotten. But the Netanyahu administration does not forget what their goals are, which is expanding settlements and making the Palestinian state impossible. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the um, 
uh, Israeli argument or the argument that's being made in Israel for evicting Palestinians from that part of East Jerusalem is that, mm -hmm. well, that was 900 years ago. That was Jewish territory. Um, I mean, both both sides making these kind of weird claims, not weird claims, you know, mm -hmm. historic claims. Um, how do, you're you're much more of a scholar of this than I am, and and I mean, I've, I've, I've lived through it more than that. Yeah, my dad, exactly. And I grew up listening to stories about it. And I've been there. Yeah, and and, so I'm and, not and a scholar, but I've lived it. Yeah, yeah. So and and you know, I've been to to Israel a number of times, but um, uh, nothing nothing at the level of understanding that you have what what would be your suggestion if you were you know emperor of the world um uh what how, how does this resolve itself and and particularly of the world i, I mean both we got the west bank and gaza you know i mean there's, there's right. two separate things right. here that i realize yeah, if I was emperor of the world i would work on a lot of different things you know in fact having maybe a four-hour day radio show. But if I were to focus a little bit on the Middle East here as emperor of the world, the solution now is very, it is difficult to see what a solution would look like now. I've been a long advocate of two-state solution. The, the number of settlements built, hundreds of thousands in the West Bank, make a contiguous Palestinian state impossible there. Gaza and the West Bank don't connect. The people don't know this. They're not connected. There's been different ideas in the past. Maybe you connect it with something, uh, you know, a monorail system, something along those lines. But we're not even at that point. You've got Netanyahu who, who ran beginning in 2015 saying, although he was prime minister before that, beginning 2015 and repeating it, saying there will not be a Palestinian state on my watch. He's prime minister. So discussing what the contours of a Palestinian state might be are meaningless because there's no partner for Palestine on the other side. You've got Netanyahu who only talks about annexing wide swaths of the West Bank and one of the few things the Trump administration did in not giving carte blanche to Netanyahu was saying no to that because they understood how bad that would be. And that would make it impossible for even having this charade of talking about two-state solution. It would end that once and for all. So to me, I want to see peace. I'm not sure if it's two states. I don't know if it's one state. I don't know if it's a federation, an EU set up type of thing. Whatever it would be that would be lasting and a just peace that would respect the self-determination of the Palestinians and the self-determination and aspirations and security of Israelis. What I see so often in American politics, and Bernie Sanders changed it, was just people saying, what about Israeli security and safety of their people? Without adding, we should be concerned equally with the Palestinian safety and security. And that's the point of my article now. I mean, it's 2021. I mean, we're long past this. This is, we must be talking about a real solution Will you respect and recognize Palestinian self-determination for the Christians and Muslims who live there? They live, my family's, you know, if you're over 50, you're in, in the West Bank, you're born into an occupation run by the Israelis, you live your whole life, and if things don't change, you die under occupation, not knowing freedom, not having personal self-determination. Forget sovereign, personal self-determination, because you don't know when a checkpoint's going to be open and not, where you can go, and your freedom to travel is limited, and it affects your freedoms to for jobs and health care. Everything's impacted there, and we just don't see the story of it here in America. There is um, at least one political party in Israel that explicitly just basically wants to expel all mm -hmm. non-Jews from Israel. Uh, and, Jewish and, power. Yeah, and, and uh, Netanyahu has made, you know, uh, alliance mm -hmm. with this party and these, and these politicians. To what mm -hmm. extent do you think that um, 
First, you know, first you had the Palestinian response to, to the appropriation of lands in the area around East Jerusalem. And then it just this just kind of metastasized all the way to Gaza. And now we've got this explosion going on in our face. I mean, this I'm talking about just in the last few weeks. Um, to what extent do you think does it seem to you that um, this is Benjamin Netanyahu trying to stay out of prison and get another another term as prime minister? Well, there are certainly people who say that, including liberal Israelis and Arabs living in, in Israel, that they think this is somehow Netanyahu is gleeful about this because now there are people rallying around him. Because after the last election, his coalition nor the other side it was against him had enough seats to to become prime minister because you have to have 61 seats in the Knesset. Right. And he couldn't form that coalition. So now you have the other side, this guy, man, a man named Yair Lapid who had a chance to form his coalition. So this happens in the middle of it. But you make a great point, though, about that group called Jewish Power. That's their name in English. It's like white power. They're a Jewish supremacist group, very anti-LGBT, horribly anti-women. They want to expel Arabs from their land. They're, the leader of the group, Ben Gavir, one of his heroes, a man named Barack Goldstein, Barack Goldstein, who slaughtered over 20 Palestinians in Hebron at a mosque. And he loves that guy. He's dressed up as him in Purim, which is a Jewish holiday. That's how much he loves him. He puts a picture up. Netanyahu's, that's his partner. That's his partner that he ran with. This is unreal. So if Netanyahu becomes prime minister again, and that man is in the coalition, which he will be in his party called Jewish Power is in it, I think Americans might finally ask questions about, does our aid go to support a government like that, with that kind of composition, that kind of vileness? I mean, Netanyahu's a racist, but at least he gave lip service to Palestinian rights, and at times was fair, at times, to Israeli Arabs. This guy, his coalition partner, no, not at all. So it really is like Trump emboldening the worst in America with good people on both sides and stand back and stand by for the Proud Boys. That's what this Jewish power group is like. And now Netanyahu's not just emboldening them, he's welcoming them. They're part of his governing coalition if he was prime minister again. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. Um, Dean, o, Dean Obadala on Sirius XM every night, uh, weekdays, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127. Uh, DeanofRadio.com is his website. Dean Obadala on Twitter. Dean, thanks a lot for dropping by. Thanks very much, Tom. Good talking with you. Listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, so the 2024 treasonous plot to steal the presidency exposed is the essence of the op-ed that I wrote over at HartmanReport.com. And and that plot is not just still working, it's getting bigger and more powerful. For America to survive as a democratic republic, we have to restore the legal guardrails that keep psychopaths from the political process. And we must hold the known psychopaths accountable. This is the essence of this thing. There are these people who are, well, in fact, I think this is even the more fascinating part of it. This from a study that was presented at the 2016 annual meeting of the Australian Psychological Society. Quote, while one in 100 people in the general community and one in five people in the prison system are considered psychopathic, These traits are common in the upper echelons of the corporate world with a prevalence of between 3 and 21%. So one in five CEOs is a psychopath. Well, they're moving out of business and into politics. And because of changes in the rules of politics that were made by, frankly, in my opinion, psychopaths on the Supreme Court, Back in 1976 and 78, the, the Buckley decision and the and the Bellotti decision, for example, saying that if billionaires and, and big corporations want to pour money down the throats of politicians or into political parties so, so extensively that they own them, we used to call that bribery or political corruption. It's now totally legal. It's free speech protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. And they doubled down, of course, with, with Citizens United. Because of that... Politics has become like the playground for psychopaths. And, I mean, this is, this is really serious and dangerous stuff. And these psychopaths now are trying to pre-rig through the way that they're doing this with these, with these uh, uh, laws that are being passed in state after state after state. And it looks like uh, the Heritage Foundation, among others, is a bunch of groups that seem to be kind of at the forefront of this. Uh, Rachel Maddow was talking about them last night. It's all over the Internet. But the bottom line is that you've got, I mean, Donald Trump is a certifiable psychopath, and I'm not the one saying that. There's dozens, uh, hundreds of psychiatrists and psychologists who have signed off on letters asserting that, or words to that effect, you know, or that he's a danger to America because of his psychopathologies, shall we say. And now we've got, you know, the billionaires who are responding to the For the People Act. You know, we're going to take this thing down. Why? Because it ends the ability of psychopathic billionaires to buy politicians. And you want to know what a country looks like when psychopathic billionaires own the politicians? You look at the United States for the last five years. Or look at Brazil right now. Or look at the Philippines right now. Or look at India right now. That is how bad it gets. And we got the former guy, you know, uh, still claiming that he's president. 
whether he's delusional or whether it's just the latest grift, I'm of the opinion that it's his latest grift. I realize there are people who think that Trump is genuinely delusional. He actually believes he's still president. But whatever it is, we got to hold these people to account. If we fail to hold them to account, it's going to get a lot worse. When psychopaths run things, when bullies run things, when sociopaths run things, it gets ugly. And we've got to pass the For the People Act to block these psychopaths from rigging our elections. And we have to do it soon. And we need to be prosecuting the psychopaths who were within, who were in the Trump administration. And frankly, in my opinion, we were hearing from some of them in the congressional testimony over the last, over the last two days. We need to be holding them to account. And if we fail to do it, it's on us. It is really on us. I mean, it just comes right down to that. Gordon in Stamford, Connecticut, you are on the air. Yes, Tom. I was wondering if we could enhance the conflict of interest laws so that if any person in Congress has received money from a lobbyist group, they should be compulsorily refused from voting on that subject. I'm all in favor of that. I think we should ban lobbying altogether, or at least paid lobbying altogether. But if they made you and I emperor of the world for a day or two, we might improve things tremendously. But I don't think it's going to happen next week, but I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And H.R. 1 actually, you know, the For the People Act actually moves in that direction, at least outs big money, the dark money. John in Warsaw, Wisconsin. Hey, John, what's up? Very concerned with the sort of the think tank proliferation in our country and how it has trickled down into these smaller groups that are astroturf groups posing as organically formed social groups, smaller communities, Wausau being one of them. We have a population of about 40,000 people. Our county, Marathon County, has a population of about 130,000, so we're not a significant area, but we have a very outsized influence from the what I would call the elite professional criminal class, and I know in your, your writing yesterday you had mentioned the international criminal class. To be specific, we have a group called Get Involved Wisconsin Incorporated. The agent for this group, Meg Ellison, was also the agent who founded the Wasa Tea Party back at that time period. So now that that has dissolved, she has created this new organization. And they held a political education conference on May 8th here in Wausau. And the speakers and participants in this conference are some pretty high-level people. For instance, Rebecca Cleefish, she was the lieutenant governor under Scott Walker, who um, I'm sure everybody knows about Scott Walker. You don't have to live in Wisconsin to know his name. Former governor, agent for the Koch brothers, agent for Freedom Works. Tom Tiffany also spoke at this conference. People remember he signed on to Ken Paxton's amicus attempting to overthrow the presidential election. Vicki McKenna is a state hate radio host. It's kind of in the same line as Limbaugh and Hannity spoke at this conference. Rachel Campos Duffy, who is a commentator on Fox and Friends and consequently the wife of ex-Congressman Sean Duffy, if people are familiar with him, is Tom Tiffany's predecessor. So you've got a bunch of credible Republicans who are getting together. And, you know, what's the bottom line here, John? What are they doing in Wisconsin? That's a great question. They're basically 
taking control of these smaller areas. And I know you, having listened to you over the years, you've always advocated for ground level action leads to change. Right, grassroots. And that seems yeah. to be the strategy being employed here, except what we've got here is incredible organization and incredible resources to push through their agenda. And that agenda being, you know, a petition now for suppressing the vote here in Wisconsin, which is, of course, becoming a problem across all the states. We have some really egregious stuff going through our county board resolutions on making it a constitutional sanctuary county. There's some wording in this. Meaning what? Exactly. I mean, they're talking about Florida becoming a sanctuary state for Donald Trump. Right. Uh, that, it's you know, Ron DeSantis sort of, won't, won't deport him. Are they, are they talking about that for Wisconsin, or is this something else? Well, I, I think this is along the lines of, you know, the constitutionalists, the originalist type of people, and they're trying to get this sort of into writing, into law. Um, they want to bring back slavery? Is that the thing? It's, the ultimate goal is to impose your will on someone else. That's power yeah. and domination. And, and that's law. really what we're dealing yeah. with today in the world, and that's what, you know, a professional criminal class is really How can, ultimately trying to do. Yeah, I'm totally with you. For somebody who just heard your call into this show and, and really doesn't get what you're talking about, is there a website mm-hmm. or is there any source of information for somebody uh, who wants to dig deeper into what's going on there? Because I'm guessing yeah, that this can, is happening in Wisconsin. It's happening all over the country and people need to know that they're local. These so-called local groups and these state groups, they're all funded by the same network exactly. of, of right-wing billionaires nationwide. Yes. Where can somebody go to learn more about this? Or this is sort of the problem I'm encountering, Tom. I'm trying to create essentially a clearinghouse for this information because it is sort of mm-hmm. scattered and fragmented, but it does tie together. There's too much to talk about on your show, but I guess the point I'm trying to get across is the tentacles of this dominator-type class of people have reached our ground level. You know, we had a recent yeah. school board election in which $30,000 was dropped on the three conservative candidates, including money from the GOP of our county. Not supposed to hmm. be a partisan race. Multiple ethics violations were filed. They were found to be guilty of such. They were issued warnings. Now, I don't know what a warning does <laughs> in terms of an election in which you right. won. It's not like a. a, a so, how does somebody so, find out about this, John? Sure. Again, is okay. there a website well, or is say, there are there search terms? Yeah, they can go to Get Involved Wisconsin. Is the group they can look through some of what their propaganda. That's the right wing group that's doing this. Get Involved Correct. Wisconsin. Yep. Okay. And that actually, I, you can tie into the Club for Growth. Okay, and I think we're all familiar with oh, who yeah. they are. If not, look them up on, on Wikipedia. Also, look into the Wisconsin Family Council. This was a major point in our school board election. We have some very far-right evangelical uh, hate members now in our school board with uh, who are also sitting on the board of the Wisconsin Family Council, which is a hate group. Um, and I know that the Southern Poverty Law Center is looking into them. Wisconsin United for Freedom, that was a group that popped up early in the pandemic against masks. But yes, I would say, first and foremost, look at Get Involved Wisconsin as the group and then look who's part have, have you talked to anybody in the Wisconsin Democratic Party about this, John? Are they aware of this? E, I have talked to some people, yes. 
Okay, I'm good. still trying to sort a lot of this, a lot of this information. John, keep on it. You know, give us a shout next week. It would be nice if all you said you're trying to, you know, distill this into one site. If you put up a site exactly. or if you find a site or, you know, somebody does some good reporting on this, get back in touch with me, would you? I'd like to, I'd like to keep on this story. I really appreciate it. David in Possum Kingdom Lake, Texas. Hey, David, what's up? For some time, you have been saying that the Congress can add a line to a bill that says the Supreme Court can't rule on it. And you and Pamela Jayapal earlier were lamenting the possibility that the Supreme Court might strike down. I think it was the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering why neither one of you mentioned that. Well, I'm guessing that the reason she didn't is because conventional wisdom in this country that is shared by pretty much every politician I've ever met is that um, if Congress was to mess with the Supreme Court, even though they have the power under Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution, that that would be a breach of American tradition. Now, I built, I wrote an entire book arguing that that's not a breach of American tradition that we've had several presidents who have literally completely ignored orders from the Supreme Court. Andrew Jackson, twice, once with regard to the U.S. Bank, uh, the second bank of the United States. Um, The other time with regard to the Trail of Tears, in both cases, the Supreme Court said, you can't do what you're talking about doing. And he said, you know, screw them. I'm going to go, I'm going to do it myself. And then you had two cases where President Abraham Lincoln ignored explicit orders of the Supreme Court. Um, One having to do with habeas corpus during the Civil War and the other having to do with Dred Scott. And... And, and Lincoln basically said, you know, it's a terrible thing that the court ruled against Mr. Scott and he's stuck being a slave again. But um, I, we're just not going to recognize that as a universal proclamation. Um, so he, he kind of, you know, uh, cut the baby down the middle. But that was 150, 170 years ago and uh, 160 years ago. And so it's been a long, long time since Congress stood up on their back two feet and took on the court. Uh, The last time that there was even a serious attempt was 1937, when Franklin Roosevelt uh, decided that he was going to challenge the court and uh, by adding some members to it, you know, the so-called packing the court. Um, But I would love to see it happen, David. And um, I, I, I think that you know, in fact, that's a. I love your suggestion. I, I think you just gave me uh, my rant for one day this week, or my op-ed for one day this week. That uh, the Supreme, the Congress really needs to think about adding a court stripping. It's called court stripping. A court stripping provision to legislation like HR one that says that this legislation may not be is not subject to a judicial review. It's not subject to okay, review by the Supreme Court. Bill. Well, you know, I. I think if they did it with every bill that, um, you know, they would be, they would certainly be consistent with the worldview and the understanding of the American Constitution of about half the founders and framers, um, most notably Jefferson. Um, but uh, they would also be outside the parameters of the other half. So I, you know, I, I doubt that they would do that. But um, well, let so me. Why would we favor the bad half? Well, because you do want, you know, there have been times when the Supreme Court has looked at law 
and said, you know, that's not good law. And, uh, you know, for example, uh, and the, of course, these are the examples liberals always use. 1954, yeah, Brown v. Board, 1972. That. Say that again. You always say the Congress can decide that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I know my own arguments here, David. I'm with you. It would be jumping into the deep end of the pool rather than stepping into the shallow end and getting, getting used to the temperature of the water. It's a great rant. David, thank you for that. Very thoughtful call and, and spot on it. Joe in Los Angeles. Hey, Joe. I'd suggest that, that votes in the U.S. Senate be announced not just by how many senators, I, how many nay, but actually also announced by half the state population that each senator represents. I think we'd find that uh, not only with Democrats, mm. but all kinds of liberal measures would be overwhelmingly favored by the U.S. population. And maybe some media people can just figure it out and assign each senator half population of, you know, their state, and uh, count it up that way so that you announce both the votes in the Senate and the party memberships in the Senate and the population totals. That, I think, will tell the audience that the liberal and progressive and measures that have to do with kindness and care are overwhelmingly favored by the population. I'd love to hear that. Uh, what do you think? Would that be a nice favor to remind people we're not alone, we're the majority? I love it. I think you're absolutely right, Joe. And and let's just keep amplifying the fact that the 50 Democrats in the U.S. House, in the U.S. Senate represent 41 million more Americans than do the 50 Republicans in the United States Senate. Yet the Republicans are claiming equal power. In fact, with the filibuster, they're complaining superior power. You're listening to Tom Hartman. James in Spokane. James, we have just a, about a half a minute to the end of the end of the show today. You had a quick comment about World War II. Well, actually, a couple of historical facts I can fit in here. I think um, about corruption in government, high office, uh, related to the Kennedy assassination and the three years period. James, the James, my apologies. I, I was I was off by at least. 25 seconds here in my reading of my own clock. Call back anytime this week and we'll, anyway. we'll, get you, we'll get you back on. James, my apologies. Um, thanks so much for being with us today. And uh, we'll be back back tomorrow, back in the studio again. Kind of reminds me of an old Firesign Theater song, you know, back in the saddle again. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.